We've news this week on the rural economy, but is it good news? I think it's a very big step in the right direction. We've been asking for a lot of this for a very long time. The NAAC is launching a new farm safety campaign and there's a new collaboration to help farmers prove their sustainability credentials to customers. So there needs to be a robust measurement system that farmers can rely upon in order to engage in those sort of transactions. We've livestock and grain market reports and prices and important agronomy advice. The week in agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, happy Open Farm Sunday. I'm heading off to Stainton La Vale this afternoon via a ride with the Lincolnshire Wolds tractor run, which I'm rather looking forward to. The fields are looking mighty dry. What chance a drop of rain this week? We've got the forecast at the end of the programme. The government released its Unleashing Rural Opportunity Report this week. The CLA's regional director, Kath Crowther, is, I hope, going to turn its many, many pages into a digestible summary in plain English for us. Morning, Kath. The report focuses on four main areas by the looks of it. Can we start with growing the rural economy? What are they actually saying there? You know that it's something that the CLA has been pushing for a long time. We've been saying that the rural economy is 19% less productive than the national average. And with the right policy measures, then closing that gap could be worth $43 to the national economy, which is very exciting, we think. A lot around planning, and we've been saying for a long time that it should be easier for farmers to convert redundant agricultural buildings into housing by cutting red tape. That's one of the announcements. Another is to look at the national planning policy framework to support small rural sites for affordable housing. One of the other areas covered by the report is digital connectivity. What are they saying there, Kath? We all know you can't run a business without mobile phone coverage, without broadband. So they've put together a new £7 million fund to test new ways to bring together satellite, wireless, fixed line, internet connectivity, which will support rural businesses across remote areas. And they're finally looking at doing something about fly tipping. They have said that by the summer, I believe July, they will legislate to increase fly tipping and litter penalties and ring fence the use of those fines to fund further action on fly tipping. So there's a lot in the report which is really promising. The devil's going to be in the detail and I guess it's making sure that those consultations that come out really do come to fruition and shows what the rural economy could achieve with the right policy measures. Now, the sceptic in me, Kath, and I'm sure you're just the same, says this is another very lengthy, very wordy report. When's all this going to happen? Or perhaps I should say, is this all actually going to happen? And is this anything new or is it just stuff that's been reported and announced before? There's some new things in there. There's some things that we have been talking to government about for some time but haven't had official announcements on. The report says a what we will do and what we are doing and then um, what we will consult on. So there are some promises, but there is some bits like a commitment to consult I think it's a very big step in the right direction. We've been asking for a lot of this for a very long time. And I guess we can't expect it all overnight. But we hope that things will happen fairly quickly with a lot of these. 
you know, the fact that the, the fly tipping, they are saying by July. So that is just around the corner now. So fingers crossed. Well, it's good to get some dates on this. If somebody is sort of lacking in sleep and wants to actually read the report in great detail, where, where can they go to find it, Kath? The Unleashing Rural Opportunity Report is on the gov.uk website. The CLA has a analysis which can summarise it fairly quickly for you. I think that is definitely the place to go, Kath. All right, Kath Crowther, Regional Director for the CLA. Thanks for joining us again on the Farming Programme. Thanks, Steve. Riding a quad bike, an ATV without a helmet, is both dangerous and illegal. The National Association of Agricultural Contractors, the NAAC, is launching a social media campaign to show how important wearing a helmet is. Chief Exec Jill Hewitt, we've spoken about this before with you and the Farm Safety Foundation. Is it still such a big problem? Unfortunately, it is, yes. Um, In the last five years, we've had 14 deaths. And unfortunately, many of those could have been prevented if people had been wearing a helmet. And is there still a resistance to wearing a helmet? And if so, why? There seems to be resistance. And unfortunately, a lot of people still aren't wearing them. Why is a very good question. What we're wanting to talk about more is why wouldn't you wear one? Because if you come off, your head is not resistant. And, you know, wearing a helmet can literally save your life. And it's also a legal requirement, Steve. Even if you're off-road in the middle of a field on a farm? If you're at work, yes. And there is presumably then a certain amount of employer's responsibility. Absolutely. And if, you know, God forbid, if there is an accident, an employee isn't wearing a helmet and has been provided with one and instructed to wear it, there is potential comeback on the employer. Okay, this is important stuff, obviously. And what's the NAAC looking to do? In a slightly more fun way, what we're trying to do is get people to wear and share their helmets on social media. I've been out on a quad bike, obviously wearing a helmet. So what we're trying to do is get other people to share photos with the hashtag wear it and share it, just to try and normalise the wearing of a helmet. Helmets can be quite expensive things, can't they, to buy? But uh, the NAAC has teamed up with Logic Helmets. Yes. So we're, we're offering our members a discount um, on Logic Helmets. But actually, they're not very expensive, Steve. They're less than £100, which when you weigh it up against somebody's life is a quite an insignificant amount of money, really. There is an age limit for ATVs as well, isn't there? Yes. So... Like on any farming activity, you shouldn't have any under 13s on vehicles, on tractors or ATVs. And actually, for a lot of farm quads, they're not suitable for under 16. So you need to check with the the manufacturer the age limit on the particular vehicle that you've got. And many manufacturers and people who are selling these vehicles will offer training, won't they? Because it's not just helmets. You need to to know and be aware and be competent in actually riding the things. Yes, absolutely. And that's equally important. Um, And yes, a lot of the manufacturers will offer that training if you buy an ATV. And it's really important to take that up. Where else could you go for training? Perhaps if you bought a second-hand ATV, are there organisations who offer training? Yeah, I think a lot of local training providers would be able to access that training. I think if you went through Lantry, you'd probably be able to find some training. But we could certainly help if people were struggling. Okay, and on that point, where can we go for more information about the campaign and about training? All 
the campaign is on our Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn social media under National Association of Agricultural Contractors. And anybody wanting any more information can go to naac.co.uk. Jill Hewitt, thanks ever so much for joining us on the Farming Programme. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck with the campaign, Jill. There's a little bit of rain possible later, but will it be enough to repair those cracks in the fields? Crop Dr Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Morning, Steve. Yeah, drier than Gandhi's flip-flops out here. And I said at the beginning of May, while, of course, it was wetter than an otter's pocket, that by the beginning of June, we'd all be moaning about how dry it is. And here we are, all hoping that if we do have to have thunderstorms, that that rain comes straight down, rather than on a 45-degree angle on the back of a howling gale. That could knock a few bits down. The barley will bounce back up, of course, but wheat won't. And with such frothy and lush canopies of barley and wheat out there, we do need a little bit of luck with this. The dry spell is very, very concerning. Concerning. Sugar beet, spring barley, peas, beans, maize, linseed, all struggling on the brashier soils, but on the heavier land too, all desperate for a drink. Winter wheat then ears out pretty much everywhere now, so T3 foliar top up going on, because with it being so dry, the fusarium isn't quite the threat it would be if it were wet, although timing that T3 in the first 24 hours of anther presentation is going to give you the best chance of doing some good for fusarium here, like whether it's wet or not, because once fusarium gets in, it's in. And there's no amount of subsequent fungicide that will make a jot of difference. Once it's in, it's in. Plenty of leaf discoloration and what appears to be disease on leaves in many fields of wheat. But this season, virtually every pass through the wheat has caused physiological leaf effect and unexplained leaf spotting. We're used to seeing that yellow flecking phenomena on leaves after an application of a mix containing a sulfonyl urea in any season. But we've seen that effect from straight fungicides and also from just trace element applications too this year. Widespread leaf lesions in many canopies, which may resemble septoria triticae and septoria adorum or the beginnings of yellow rust but these come with a distinct lack of pycnidia those little black fruiting bodies and we're seeing widespread leaf blotches of varying sizes on leaves one and two lesions which many people are mistaking for septoria but which are in fact several other things many of them will undoubtedly be physiological and physical chemical effects or scorch from applications onto de-waxed leaves and although i have no doubt that a few of these lesions will of course be septoria i'd say that from what i'm seeing the majority are going to be ascochyta. It's not easy to tell the difference, but these ascochyta spots or lesions, which are really hard to ID in the field and a bit of a rarity in wheat, are widespread this year. They tend to have much darker margins than septoria. They run down the leaf rather than across the leaf surface. The pycnidia are much darker than septoria too. And they shouldn't be confused with tan spot, of course, which has diamond-shaped lesions and whose outer margin is much paler than ascochyta and its central eye will be full of spores. Oh, and a lesion without spores could easily be drought stress as well. It's only the second time in my 30 odd years that I've actually seen Ascochyta in the field and even then I've never seen it as widely as I'm seeing it this year. Septoria triticea of course is pretty widespread itself so knowing thine enemy rather than chasing ghosts makes most sense to me. It is a year that will go down as a big disease year and I think Ascochyta may well be what you're seeing out there. Spring beans combining peas starting to flower in the early drillings as I said last week but still very slow thanks to this cool dry weather we've been having. Important to time your first fungicide well of course
course, in these crops. So treat at the right time rather than just getting a job out of the way because the calendar says that's the time you should do it. Fungicides cost you a lot of money, so it's very important that they're put on well. Very little in the way of black aphids in the spring beans at the moment and brookid beetle not endemic particularly yet. Things can and will change very quickly though, so do stay alert and stay vigilant. Pea moth traps out now too monitoring by threshold for this pest absolutely crucial for their control it's an important timing for pea moth so we've had a pheromone moth traps out in the peas since the middle of may and we're checking them every two days three times a week and the threshold is 10 or more moths in a trap on two consecutive occasions and it's really when you see the presence of moth detected for vining peas of course so do monitor them carefully any pea crop in pod or in flower through june or july can be attacked by pea moth and where there's been significant damage in that area in the previous year or in previous years that's a high risk area the moths themselves are a dull greyish brown color with black and white markings on the leading edge of the forewings they're about six mil long they've got a 15 mil wingspan so the first pods forming is a crucial time for control use the prediction tool based on your trap results at the pgro.org site not always an easy pest to control though winter beans earlier chocolate spot treatments have really held it in check and the upper canopy is pretty clean in the main while they set their pods now if you've used two strobs already that's your lot you do have of course bendivindifluper and prothioconazole but that's going to be better on bean rust than chocolate spot and it has a cut off of 20% of the pods at final size the black aphid is very scarce in the winter beans too for now heaving with ladybirds though so perhaps that's why Mises persicae aphid thresholds being reached and exceeded still in non-dress beet and dress beet that was drilled early April they're now running out of protection too so do keep checking these sugar beet crops for wingless nymphs from eight weeks after drilling and up to 12 leaves of the crop. 200 litres of water, by the way, for Topeki applications. Remember that. So if you're mixing it with a herbicide, you'll want to be aware of that and up your water rate accordingly. Spring barley T2s going on to the forward bit. Still got those T1s to go on the later drilling, and that will probably happen this coming week. Proof if proof were needed as you drive across the county, by the way, that you cannot maul spring barley in. I'm seeing way too many of these yellow, ugly bits of spring barley around the place t2's well underway and largely complete on spring wheat too now spring oats showing that purpling from phosphorus and potassium deficiency because of the drought and we get that in these conditions so do always try to correct nutrition issues very quickly in oats if you can adverse sugar beet herbicides effects absolutely widespread this year thanks to the dry and in many fields the weeds are just not keeling over for the same reason hopefully though that drop of rain is on its way and to be quite honest half an inch of rain nice and steady straight down would solve pretty much all the issues I'm dealing with. An inch of rain over a couple of days now, that would probably do more good than all the agronomists in the county in a month of Sundays. So fingers crossed that we get a bit damp and soon. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Coming up, details of a new collaboration aiming to help farmers prove their sustainability credentials, plus the weekly livestock and grain market reports and prices, and that weather forecast for the week next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. More and more supermarkets, processors and other purchasers of the things we grow are demanding not just that there is sustainability in practice on the farm, but evidence of that sustainability. How do you provide that evidence? Where do you get the facts from? Grain Marketing and Arable Inputs Cooperative Openfield have partnered with Trinity AgTech and come up with a solution called Sandy. 
Openfield Member Services Director Richard Jenner joins us. Richard, what is Sandy? Software? An app? How does it work? Yeah, it, it's a essentially software to be based on sort of scientific algorithms in the background that is able to measure uh, based on input data that farmers have to feed in, and they can feed that information in automatically from existing systems that they might use. So many farmers would be using a product called Muddy Boots, for example, uh, and this will interface, Sandy will interface with that to extract data that's already entered into that system. Um, so it's able to measure the carbon footprint of production of various arable crops. It's able to measure the biodiversity. And, and I guess that's part of the appeal from an open field perspective. We've looked at lots of these different products and most of them tend to focus on carbon solely. Uh, and certainly some of the interactions that we've had with consumer customers are much broader than that. They're much more interested in biodiversity, water quality, etc. So to open field, that's part of the appeal that we think it should have to members. It's a much broader measurement of natural capital as opposed to just solely focused on, on carbon footprinting. So it's producing an awful lot of information. And as we said earlier, that's focusing on providing that evidence for the end consumer. But it's going to provide lots of information that perhaps the farmer themselves can use. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are two elements to this, really. There's certainly the bit that Openfield is interested in on behalf of our members is around supplying uh, ultimately consumer customers with the information that they might need to know about their supply chain. So whether that is you know, the greenhouse equivalent emissions of a, a tonne of wheat uh, or whether it's the biodiversity that's taking place on a particular farm. Uh, but at the same time, farmers, if they choose to, can enter into arrangements where they can sell carbon credits. So there needs to be a robust measurement system that farmers can rely upon in order to engage in those sort of transactions. So um, it's not purely just about the supply chain. And, and certainly the way agriculture is going in in the UK, uh, farmers are going to get less and less support in terms of the single farm payment. And this potentially gives them another stream of income that they can they can trade if they wish to. And is this just for open field members? Uh, no, any farmer can access it. I mean, it's not an exclusive arrangement to open field. Trinity Ag will be sending this product to agriculture in general. And I'm, I'm sure they may be talking to uh, consumer customers and processors of agricultural materials. Um, so um, I can't claim it's an exclusive arrangement for Openfield, certainly, but yeah, certainly through Openfield, members, should they wish to interact with it, will receive a discount if they um, apply through uh, Openfield. But um, yeah, it's it's not exclusively Openfield only. OK, so there is a cost to this, to the farmer. Uh, yeah, there is a cost to it. Uh, and I like, I suppose we took the view because we've reviewed lots of these sort of products and, and quite a number of them are uh, completely free. I guess uh, we took the adage in the end that um, not only does this have the complete breadth of natural capital measurement. Uh, it also has scenario planning in it as well. So farmers can do some sort of what if planning about changing things on their farms and, and what the outcomes might be. And I think we kind of adopted the approach that um, you kind of value what you pay for in the end. So that's the you know, the route that we didn't, didn't went down in the end. It gives a, a lot more information and detail than others appear to. And that's why we chose it. And yes, there's a cost associated with it. Okay. Yep, you get what you pay for. Where can we go for more information about this uh, then, Richard? Yeah, well, certainly uh, individual Openfield members could talk to their farm business manager. Uh, and also um, we have a, a Openfield Insight platform that many members use already. There's a, there's a new tile um, specifically on there that covers the Sandy product. So farmers can click on that and that will take them through to a registration page and somebody will get in contact with them and talk them through in more detail. But as I say, probably the first port of call would be the Openfield Farm business team because they've had a full briefing and understand how this product works. Lovely. Thank you for that, Richard Jenner, Member Services Director from Openfield. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. You're welcome. Good to meet you. 
Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth, and this week saw our early summer show and sale of prime cattle and prime lambs. Kindly sponsored by Blankney Estates with their fibre feed. First prize heifer from our Ray and Sons of Lincoln. She sold for 298 pence per kilo or £1,576. The heifers topped at 301 pence per kilo for Pitcher Farms. First price steer goes to F. Wallace & Sons Biscothorpe, selling to 295 pence per kilo. And the top of the day went to J&S Brooks of Strubby at £1,771 per head. Just a couple of prime bulls top at 278 pence per kilo for Pitcher Farms, or £1,712 for F. Wallace & Sons Biscothorpe. This week also store cattle wheat with the steers topping at £1,260 and the heifers topping at £1,280 for Pennell Brothers of Techney Lock. Moving on to the sheep, and more lambs than expected with an SQQ of 327.16 pence per kilo with an all-in per head average of £144 per head. Lambs just nationally back slightly this week. Topping for the first prize pen of lambs uh, from R.W. Barker and Son of Great Ponton at £164 per head or 364 pence per kilo. Onto the hogs, a very typical June show of hogs with the best meated hogs still well in demand. SQQ of 277.62 pence per kilo. Topping for AJ Colson and Sons at £132 per head or 298 pence per kilo. Finally, onto the cool sheet. Ewes all in average £120.10 and and the Rams all in average £182 per head. The Rams top at £212 per head for Clive Goldsborough, while the Ewes top at £154 per head for Emma Benge. Huge thank you to the sponsors, judges and buyers and staff and the vendors that all supported us this week. We're back on tomorrow with prime and cool cattle and all classes of sheep. So for all entries or marketing of livestock, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks Oliver. And with a look at the grey markets and prices, back to Openfield, Farm Business Manager Kit Dickinson. Morning Kit. Well good morning Steve. The market lifted at the beginning of the week following the Nova Karkahova dam explosion and the shelling of the ammonia pipeline seen as crucial to the extension of the Grain Corridor. Both sides blamed each other. The incidents would seem to cast a shadow over the fresh talks in Geneva, scheduled for Friday. Russia insists that any further extension would be unlikely unless their demands are met, but the market has heard all this before, only for a further extension to be agreed. No doubt the freshly elected Turkish president will be keen to keep the corridor open, having seen the Turkish lira plummet 20%, which would make Turkish imports more expensive. Erdogan did, however, raise the tariff on freight through the Bosphorus and the Danals by 8.8% to partially compensate. The EU agreed to extend the ban on Ukrainian imports to the 15th of September to prevent the dumping of Ukrainian grain in five bordering member EU states during the harvest period. This has been condemned by the Ukraine as inappropriate. So moving forward and looking at barley this week, at the end of the 2023-2024 season, June 24, world barley stocks are forecast to be at their lowest for 10 years. Barley crop conditions look good in most areas apart from Spain. Despite the falling prices, global supply and demand situation for barley is getting tighter. Ukraine crops have benefited from good sun this week without high temperatures, so both spring and winter crops are progressing well. The only area of concern in Europe is Denmark, where the spring barley was planted a bit later than usual, without the benefit of the rain that the UK has had and with none forecast in the next two weeks. They are getting concerned about the impact on yield because of the dry weather. This has caused the malting barley market to increase by £10 per tonne. The UK Molster and Brewers have not increased their buying interest. This is mainly because of the slow malt take 
by brewers and the abundance of good quality old crop barley, of which there is little demand. Volatility remains the name of the game on the oilseed rate markets this week. We have had recovery back to levels seen in early May, with Matif futures markets trading back to €430 at their peak. Market bulls will potentially see the near-term higher go high, previously at 415 from which the market could gain some traction. However, if you look further back to the technical analysis point of view, we failed to break the recent upper bound of downward trend at €430 established since mid-March, so we remain in a technical bear trend. It could go anywhere from here. So moving on to prices this week, feed wheat for July 160 to 165, August 167 to 173, November 176 to 186, February 180 to 189 and May 182 to 192. For milling wheat premiums both on old and new crop, please speak to your local farm business manager. Feed barley for July 135 to 146. August 145 to 152, November 151 to 161, February 154 to 164, and May 157 to 167. Again, for malting barley premiums, please speak to your FBM. And lastly, seed rate for June 320 to 330, August 320 to 332, and November 330 to 340. There are limited prices going forward as we speak. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it looks like we will see some rain this week, but before you get too excited, there is a chance of heavy rain this afternoon, and then that's about it. The winds are nothing to speak about all week. What there is will be mostly east to southeasterly and light. So warm with that rain possible today, turning drier and mostly sunny for the rest of the week with daytime highs in the low 20s and overnights around 10 to 12 Celsius. Next week on the farming programme, we'll tackle one of the scourges of the wheat farmer in particular, blackgrass. And we'll meet one of the latest recruits to AHDB's Monitor Farm programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.